Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you once again on this now Thursday, August the 27th of 2020. As always, we are so happy to have uh, our listeners that you're tuning in from whatever part of the world that you're tuning in, and we thank you for sharing this time of fellowship in the Word of God in this hour. Our hearts are, are, are still a little heavy. Yesterday, I know, was a long night especially for uh, the people in, in the area of the state of Louisiana and the surrounding cities. Uh, but we want you to know that yesterday uh, our thoughts were with you and our prayers. And, and I really mean that, that our prayers were with you and, and thinking about you. And uh, I was telling Brother Marty, as, as tired as I was, I, I didn't feel comfortable just sleeping, knowing uh, that our brothers and sisters were under this brutal hurricane. But uh, thank God if you're still alive and you're still there, uh, we praise God that the Lord has um, brought you through this. And uh, we know that in the next couple of days, we must continue to pray as this hurricane uh, is going to continue to move, I believe, north. So uh, uh, let's, let's continue to pray for one another. And also, uh, we also understand the, the devastation of fires that are taking place in, in Northern, Cali Northern California. Uh, destroying a lot of crops in, in so many places. And all of these, again, are, are signs, very clear signs, that we are truly living in the last of the last days, that we are experiencing what the prophets uh, saw, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel saw in the future. They saw these days that we are living and the coming days that are going to come which are going to get uh, worse. But we find comfort in the word of God, in the promise that he said that he would never leave us or forsake us. Amen. So we're going to get into the word of God today. In our panel today, we have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. And as always, it is a pleasure and an honor to be able to study the word of God, especially in such a time like this. So Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart today. Uh, as we continue uh, to study, yesterday we had a tremendous study uh, in the book of Isaiah. So I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. As uh, we have been uh, exploring the uh, the patterns uh, and the prophetic metaphors and allegories and all those fancy terms uh, of the Word of God in in the book of Jeremiah, mm -hmm. and as we were exploring that, as we uh, came to uh, the the uh, part of the uh, podcast series we've been doing in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah sends a letter uh, to the captivity. Uh, it led us to the to the book of Isaiah, uh, where it was first revealed to the great prophet um, that that Jerusalem itself and 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 the cities and the people uh, would be judged by God. Two hundred. And 40-something years or so, a little bit less than that, uh, from the time Isaiah had his vision, would come the outpouring of the wrath of God. And so as we began to, uh, had turned over there and, and began to look at Isaiah 6 uh, to bring some context to what was going on in the time of uh, of the Babylonian Empire and, and the judgment that came upon God's people, the Holy Spirit took us into Isaiah 6 and has begun to reveal some things that, uh, frankly, um, I have never uh, seen 
uh, in its fullness uh, in the way that the Spirit of the Lord appears to be opening these things up to us now at our time. And so we're, we're going to continue looking. It's almost like a little addendum. You know, we put a pause on the Jeremiah exploration, but it's going to give even fuller expression to the things that, that, that uh, I believe the Lord now wants us to enter into as we're going forward in these days that we find ourselves in this completely different world that we're living in right now. The question is, can we find answers in the Word of God to the things that we're experiencing? Is there truly guiding light within the scriptures that makes sense of the time that we're living in? And we, you know, <laughs> resoundingly say absolutely and totally. Uh, and, and so we believe that the Lord is showing us and uh, we are uh, hopefully, uh, you know, to the best of our ability, anointed by the Spirit of God, we pray, uh, trying to bring this information out, trying to make sense of the things that we're seeing and witnessing and subsequently trying to bring uh, encouragement and and light uh, to our situation. Uh, we're all in this together, and uh, we, I honestly believe we've reached the point where it's, <laughs> and we better buckle our seatbelts, man, because it's going to get pretty bumpy from here on in. But that's an exciting thing. Like young Jeremiah, who joined us yesterday, said, some of you might think that we sound pretty happy over the things that we're seeing revealed in these prophetic scriptures. But he said it's not because we're, you know, we're masochists or anything. You know, we're all into doom and gloom. It's because they alert us uh, to the fact uh, that that the king is coming. And that yes. is what we're looking for. Amen. We're looking for the return of the Lord. And so we're excited about that. And so today we're going to explore uh the call of the prophet, uh, the call of the prophet Isaiah. And the reason that we're going to do that, it's going to be from a little bit of a, a, a great different perspective. Because the call of the prophet, before we get into the many things that we're going to look at, there is so much being unveiled in this sixth chapter. Uh, but we need to understand that the sixth chapter of Isaiah was actually an account of how he received his call. Uh, to become the prophet of God, and, and probably no other prophet, save maybe Prophet Daniel and Ezekiel, those great prophets, saw what uh, what Isaiah saw, uh, which is a full revelation uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an incredible thing. But more than that, uh, the unfolding plan of God throughout the history of of mankind. Uh, but but not only <laughs> not only from uh, from from the days that that history would unfold in his time, but Isaiah takes us all the way back. Uh, if when you read his book, all the way back to the original fall of Lucifer himself in eternity past. All of the things that Isaiah would write and compile in his sixty-six books, which we know as the Book of the Prophet Isaiah. They all occurred and and uh, flowed out of what happened to him in the sixth chapter, which is what we're exploring. But more than just studying it for studying's sake, uh, we're looking at it because what we believe is being revealed to us uh, in this is that the same kind of call that came upon the prophet Isaiah will in will in fact come upon the church at the end of time, the same kind of things that he experienced will also 
in, in great measure come upon us at the end. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to explore those things and why it's necessary uh, to have that, that same experience uh, of preparation, purification, of purging, uh, in order to prepare us to take our part in the in the unfolding history of prophecy, which will culminate with the second coming of the Lord. And and, and I know that's a lofty goal to set out there, but that's what we're going to see. And uh, by the Lord by the Lord's grace, we pray that He would open those doors so that we might make known the gospel as we should. And and so with that in mind, Brother Jeremy, I'm going to have you read, if you don't mind, for us. Again, uh, a good little length of scripture here as we begin our study, as we look at the call of the prophet, which will be the same call that we're about to receive, I believe, and have already begun to receive. But let's take a look at this, Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1 through 8, and we will begin our, our study today and pray the Lord blesses you. If you have your Bibles, get them out, settle in as we, as we dig into the Word of God in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy, would you read, please? Amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried, unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, here am I, send me. Wow, so here am I, send me. And that's that's a key, really, uh, because when the process is over, and, and when he becomes what he's meant to become, he's gone through a series of events that, that, that began uh, with this vision of the Lord high and lifted up. <clears throat> and, and there's many things that, that, are, that are revealed in this chapter that, that haven't uh, fully been explored. I've searched many, many commentaries, looked at many things. But a lot of times, um, I like what Brother Jacob Press said years ago. He said... Uh, that much of the prophetic scriptures would not be understood until it was time to understand them. <laughs> so I like the way he said that because we have come to those, right? You know, we've come to those times and, yeah. and there are, there are, there are mysteries that are hidden here 
that are now being revealed. And, and, and we, we stand on the word of God for that, even as the angel Gabriel told Daniel in the book of Daniel chapter 12, uh, he told him uh, to seal up the prophecies, the concluding matters and things that God had shown Daniel at his time. He said, Daniel, not even you can understand this. It's not for you at this time. He said, you, you close the book, it will be sealed until not the last day, but the time of the end. And, and he said, then the book would be opened, that the church would be separated into two different classifications, the, the, the wicked and the wise. None of the wicked will understand those that have compromised, those who have, uh, you know, become a, 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 a poor representation of the Lord and given themselves over to the spirit of the age. And then there's, there's the wise who, after the working of the spirit of God upon their lives, has prepared them and caused them to have their eyes open and discern and understand the time have actually reached that point where the conclusion of all matters is just ahead of us. And that's an extraordinary thing to really think about and, and, to, and to ponder and, and to reflect. Because as you brothers know, man, and jump in anytime you want, you know, we've reached an age uh, in our time where what is purportedly the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's preached in, in the public square and public arena, is anything but the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you hear a Jesus of their own making, but what the gospel really is presenting is that is that men are sinful, that we that we have a destiny that has been laid before us, uh, which leads us all uh, to a place called hell, uh, which is where the devil and his angels and his children belong and will go to. And that really until the Lord Jesus Christ came and God sent his only begotten son, there was no hope for mankind as a whole. Until you accept what he did on Calvary uh, as taking our place and paying the price for our sins. And then he rose from the dead and has promised to return again. And, and it's these these issues that are, are so missing from the public square. We have a Jesus that's presented to us as if he's some sort of a of an amulet, some sort of philosophical, uh, you know, pixie dust that we can just sprinkle his name on our life and that it's all about, you know, me, myself, and I, my success, my prosperity. Jesus gives me a better family, a better wife, a better business. I mean, it, it, it's it's all about that. And, and you don't hear about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the, the Bible is, in, is emphatic that those two kinds of of uh, churches will begin to emerge in the last time, and we think we're fully seeing that right now. But the Spirit of God, much like he did in Isaiah's time when he, he had a particular call that came to his life, it radically changed him. And what he was about to see was about to literally unfold before his eyes uh, the entirety of the plan of God all the way till the end. And before we're done with looking at chapter 6, that's what we're going to end up seeing. And we're going to see some incredible things. We're going to see the the multiples of three, because that's how God presents himself in verse 3. That's what Isaiah says. He hears the Lord called holy, holy, holy. 
he's presented as three. And and wrapped up in that cry and the understanding of that cry is the understanding of how God chose to manifest himself sitting upon a throne, which is as a judge. Now, these are very, very key and important things, which we'll dig into in the next several sessions. And we're going to take our time because what's being unfolded and what other connective scriptures are going to show us is that how two of the events that are that are predicted within the sixth chapter of Isaiah, which has to do with the outpouring of the wrath of God, have already been fulfilled. There remaineth yet a wrath that is going to be poured out, and we'll see that, uh, <clears throat> which is just ahead of us very soon. And what we're also going to see is that with each subsequent act of the wrath of God being poured out, God sitting as judge and judging his people and judging the world, um, there are a whole series of events and preparatory uh, instances of creating servants who go before the wrath of God. In other words, to, <laughs> to try and say it simply is God always gets a hold of people in the time just preceding his wrath uh, and begins to work on them and then bring them out and have them declare his message. And it's unique to the outpouring of the wrath of God. And so we're going to delve into how that is seen, uh, whether it's an, uh, Jeremiah and an Ezekiel, or it's a John the Baptist and the first appearance of the Lord, or whether it's the sons and daughters upon whom the Spirit of God will be outpoured who prophesy just before the return of the Lord. Each and every subsequent or revelation of the wrath of God has in it those components along with captivities and so forth and so on that we're going to talk about in the coming days if the lord allows but before we delve into what is revealed in those ways in in, in chapter six as to the unfolding revelation given given to uh, isaiah concerning those three separate uh wrath of god how do you say it historic timelines which are going to unfold over the course of history from the point that Isaiah saw it, um, it's incredibly insightful to consider, you know, how Isaiah's calling uh, would be in a larger sense a calling that would come upon and will come upon all the servants of God who will be called of God to minister in each one of the specific three time periods of this, you know, the, the, of the specific generations who are going to experience the wrath of God. Now listen, understand to this, that God has always been correcting, always been judging. There are seasons of judgment, there are seasons of correction that have taken place throughout the history of God's dealing with men and with his people. But only three times within the scripture will you see particular times when he literally pours out what is called his wrath. Jeremiah called it uh, the generation of, the, of his wrath. In his time, Jesus talked about the wrath of God coming upon that generation in, the, in, in his time when he uh, publicly ministered, which indeed happened in A.D. 70. And then the Bible reveals in the writings of the prophets and the holy apostles, there remaineth one final outpouring of the wrath of God. So don't confuse correction or judgment or signs or all the things that have happened through the scripture historically 
as the wrath of God, there are three specific time frames. And, and that's in the big picture, you know, overview. But what we're looking at today and what we're interested in today is, is what would be the kinds of things that, that, that prepare us, that is his people in the generation that finds itself about to experience his wrath. And so we'll look at the wrath events in the coming days because it really is incredible what's going to be seen there. But, but before all that, like I said, you know, I really sense that the spirit of the Lord wants us to, to first uh, learn from the call of Isaiah because his calling is also the calling, like we said, which the end time saint will experience before they fully enter into the office of the servants who will prophesy of the return of the Lord and the wrath of God, which is soon to be poured out upon the earth in our time, I believe. You know, and, and, and not only on the earth as a whole, but also on the backslidden, compromised, false church and an unbelieving, rebellious world that has joined itself to a false church. Because that's what's happening right now. And will happen coming out of this pandemic. If it ever opens up like it did before, it's going to open up to a completely different paradigm shift. What we're going to see is is a, is an is a meshing of a false visible church that will come up under a system, a global system. That is what the Bible said. And and in each and every time that the wrath of God has been poured out before the time that we find ourselves living in now. A.D. 70, somewhere around 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed uh, Jerusalem and the wrath was poured out then, when the wrath was poured out by the Roman government in A.D. 70, each and every time what you will see is a compromised church uh, that joins itself to that system. Ultimately, the system turns on it and destroys it, and that is what is predicted in our time, that there will come a falling away. And the wrath of God will then manifest itself. But with all that said, and so many other things we could talk about, and so many other interesting things that we can also go into, we're going to take our time today, at least, and we'll just spend this time and lay this 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 uh, foundation of looking at the call that came upon Isaiah and 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 the situation that surrounded it. You know what what triggered his call is is very key. It's a key. It's a prophetic key to help us understand in our times, the, do we see similar events? Because the call of Isaiah occurred behind specific historic events. And it's meant to be instructional. He could have simply said when he wrote chapter 6, you know, I was in the temple and suddenly I, I saw this vision of the Lord high and lifted up. But he didn't say that. He said something in verse 1. Could you read verse 1 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So Isaiah draws our attention to what triggered the events in which he would see the Lord in a vision. Isaiah is walking in the temple when this happened, but he, he, he draws our attention to a specific historic time period. And, and I want to—I just want to say this right now, because because the time frame in which he received his call 
the year that King Uzziah died, is 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 meant to be instructional in a very very and I'm, now listen I'm just going to throw this out there those of you that are listening we're not talking Bible 101 here so I want you to really go deep in your meditative processes by the grace of the Holy Spirit within you and and turn on your spiritual ears so to speak and listen to what the Spirit is revealing nothing is in the Scripture by accident and the fact that Isaiah draws our attention to the year that King Uzziah died as connecting it with his great revelation that he's about to have, which we're about to discuss here quickly, um, it's important for us to understand that. And I'm going to say some things this morning, and, and, and brothers, again, just <laughs> contribute anytime you feel led. Uh, that, that I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say, and then if if it, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I'll let, I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I'm going to ask you, is it quite possible that what Isaiah saw uh, we're about to see or have seen or are seeing? And if that's the case, then the same call that came upon Isaiah and the revelation of the coming wrath of God could quite conceivably be about to be given or is being given to his saints right now and those who will be seeing the same thing. Because what it did for Isaiah was trigger a completely different life for him. It changed him forever and, and turned him into the great prophet Isaiah. But it was up under the historical fact of the death of Uzziah when it came. Now let's just take a look at this. We know that it came at the time of Uzziah, because that's what Brother Jeremy just read to us, in the year that King Uzziah died. And remember what we said, and, and what the rabbis say is that it wasn't the actual death. They consider that the day that Uzziah died was the day that he, he did something that caused him to have leprosy come upon his forehead. And, and, and because leprosy is considered death, in the Levitical law, it is written from that perspective because at the moment that Uzziah did what he did that caused leprosy for him to be struck with leprosy, uh, it drove him from, from the throne. He lost his power and he would spend his days in isolation until he died, um, considered leprous. Now listen, so it came at the time uh, of his sin of pride because that's really what it was. Remember, Uzziah's trouble, if you, if you know your scripture, it shocked the church of his day. Remember, and as you study out Uzziah's life, and I encourage you to do it, you'll find that the entire nation of Judah at the time, they were all in with Uzziah, God's people. They were all in. They thought he was the greatest king since David, really. Uh, the church of his day had joined themselves to his rulership and to his reign. Now, I want to look at what his reign was like. Because, again, remember, this led ultimately to, his, to him being struck with a plague, if you will, of leprosy. And under his leadership, before, uh, it, uh, <laughs> before it all started to fall apart, uh, Uzziah was known for many, many things under his administration, under his rule. And I think you're going to find this very interesting. Uh, it, first of all, he had 
he was he was renowned for being uh, incredibly prosperous. He was very wealthy, and it was God that gave <laughs> it was God that gave him this wealth. And, and what we're about to look at real quick here before we get to Isaiah and how he reacted to it. Uh, it can be found in Second Chronicles chapter 26. Brother, let's just turn over there. I want to show you some really interesting things about this king, and and and, and why it's so insightful to those who have ears to hear for uh, quite possibly uh, the same kind of call and the same kind of unfolding revelation that will come to an end time generation. Are you there? Yes. Yes. So the first thing that we're going to look at what he was like, this Uzziah, before he died, and what led up to it. Now look, in in verse 5, uh, what is revealed to us there is that he had this great anointing uh, to prosper. And it was, in fact, God who put that anointing on him. Can you read verse 5 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So the source of his prosperity and the source of his wealth uh, came as a result of, of of the Lord's blessing upon his life. And so that's how we're alerted to him. He, 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 he becomes this great and prosperous person. And then when you read in verse 6 through 8, it's something very interesting because uh, it basically goes on to describe uh, his prosperity amongst all comers, that there was no one able to stand before him. Whatever he did, uh, he was victorious in. Could you read 6 through 8 real quick, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he went forth and warred against the Philistines and brake down the wall of Gath and the wall of Japheth and the wall of Ashdod and built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped them against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in Gurbaal and the Mihunims, and the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah in his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. So here we see, so he has a reputation, right? Uh, uh, everything that he does, he's victorious in. And 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 moreover, it says in verse nine. What else does he do? More moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. <laughs> so he he's a prosperous guy, right? The Lord's blessings on his life. As he grows in his in his life, he becomes it, it, he's victorious in every task that he that he undertakes. Uh and and, and he's known uh for being a builder. Right? He builds towers, he builds he builds cities. You know, uh his fame spreads it says in verse 8 even to the entering in of Egypt, Egypt being a type of a world. So he has a famous name throughout the world. This is Uzziah. He's a rich man. He has victory in whatever endeavor he sets out to do. And he's also known as being a builder. Uh, he was a builder of towers. Yeah. Uh, he, he lived at Uzziah Towers. No, I'm kidding. He didn't live at Uzziah Towers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <they> noticed, <laughs> And notice 
uh, verse nine, he he uh, he beautifies the capital city, right? Verse nine, he built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the turning of the wall. He fortified them. So he he he, he embarks on a building and improvement plan of the capital city. This Uzziah, we're talking about this Uzziah, right? So this is who he is. <laughs> but now look. His, his policies turn towards agriculture, and he takes care of, of, uh, of the fields and the farms and the vineyards. Read verse 10. Also, he built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains. Husbandmen also and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. He loved agriculture. He loved farming. As a matter of fact, uh, he probably took some of the tariffs he put on the Philistines and helped out these husbandmen in the vineyards, right? Quite possibly he did that. Just saying. I'm just saying. He helped the agricultural development of the nation. And then, now that he's solidified in power and all these are his policies, what else is he known for? We can see from 11 through 15. Would you read that real quickly, Brother Jeremy? Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands, according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael, Jael, the scribe and Mysiah, the ruler. <laughs> un- What's that again, brother? So that's close that enough. That's a hard name to pronounce. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hopefully I got it close. Close that's enough, good. right? Yeah, better than I could have done. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. And under their hand was an army, 300,000 and 7,500, that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets and uh, haber, uh, help me out here, haber, habergil, habergin, habergin? Yeah. Harbigin, ha, ha, yeah, habergin, habergin, okay. habergin, oh yeah, there you go, there we go, habergin, that's it, habergin, and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Incredible. So here we have near the what 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 just really begins to manifest itself before he he enters into this next phase, which is going to result in the beginning of his downfall, his pride. He now turns his attention in those verses you just read to 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 great investment and increasing uh, investment in defense. Right? Look at verse fourteen. Can you read verse fourteen? He invests in the military budget. Right? Read that. And yeah. Uzziah prepared for them. Oh, man, this is good. Throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets and habergate habergains 
and bows and slings to cast stones. Wow. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men. So he, he's a purveyor of, of technologies, right? He he invests in technology. He invests uh, in the national defense. He has an incredibly strong military. And it's this very thing that he then begins to put forth. It's the last piece of the puzzle that had to come into place. Uh, and, and it says, till he was strong. But once all these things were in place now, and his people are in great support of him. I mean, they love him. You remember, we're going to see here in a second when Isaiah says, I'm a man who dwells in the midst of, of uh, I'm, an un, I'm unclean, right? Uh, yeah. I have unclean lips. And then he says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But what he's saying when he sees that is the, is the Lord high and lifted up. What apparently had happened was the nation had so attached itself to this ruling king, Uzziah, that that they embraced fully a meshing of of religion and politics wow and and it got to such a place that the final piece of the puzzle just before he would he, <laughs> he would reach this ultimate place of arrogance and pride uh would be uh this this big expense and investment into the military and then a and then a great display of it his name was his name spread far and broad for he was marvelously held till he was strong so he's at the height of his power both economically he's known as a builder he has the the great blessing of god upon him uh, god gave him victory everything he seems to do no matter who came against him he still had victory he was known for being a builder. He was known for beautifying the capital city, building in the capital city. He had his own hotel there in the capital city. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know if he did. I'm just saying. I'm just joking around. <laughs> he helped the farmer with all those tariffs he got from the Philistines and Nashdod and Ammonites and all them people. Uh, he, he increased the ag agricultural de development, vineyards, farming, cattle. And then he begins to 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 thoroughly take his blessings and increase the 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 military strength of the nation. He rebuilt the military really, and uh, he invests greatly in technology and in the defense of the city and of the nation itself. And now he's at the height of his power. And 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 uh, and that's when it says in verse sixteen, what happens, brother Jeremy? But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And what happened when he burnt incense, Brother Jeremy? Verse 19. Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord, that were val valiant men. Okay, and keep reading. Just read all the way through 19. Okay. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary. For thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. 
Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. This is really incredible here because what you see happening is once he reached his apex where everything was coming up roses for him, he crosses over into a place that he now, you know, for, for, and, and, and <laughs> his pride became his downfall. Basically, he believed himself to be the chosen one. I'm just saying, mm. maybe that's what that maybe that's what he thought. Maybe he. Maybe he called him. Maybe he looked to the sky and called himself the chosen one. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. He might have done that. Who knows? Uh, but what we do know is that he believed himself to be something. Basically, Isaiah reveals maybe a little bit of it in Isaiah 6 when he says, man, when I saw the king, I realized everything we've been saying about the king that just died. Oh my God, we blew it. <laughs> it's basically what he goes on to say. But he said, so, so what does he do? He enters the Lord's temple and he claims for himself the honor that only belongs to the high priest, to the sons of Aaron, right? He, that, that honor doesn't belong to him. But it was, but he took it to himself. He received it. And the result is from that point on, it all began to fall apart. And suddenly he was struck in his forehead with leprosy. That's what you just read, Brother Jeremy. We could call it a plague maybe, right? <laughs> a plague that weak, that weakened him. And and also what happened then? There was a great earthquake. We know. Yes. Go ahead, Brother. Yes, right? <laughs> there was an earthquake that shook the nation. So his pride was his downfall, and his spirit was now fully manifested in his people that same right. spirit of it came down into god's people and we know that because of his you know his supporters right the the ruling class the the religious elite they, they all embraced him but what's cool here in verse 17 is when azariah the priest and the other 84 they're called the valiant men they didn't buy into this and they began to preach a contrary message in his time to this this king, you know, and they withstand him, and 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 they and they take the place of, of a prophetic office in a way, in that they began to protect the house of God and tell him what you're doing, and and how you're acting, man, is completely uh, wrong, and and it's a sin, and it's allowed a plague to come upon you now. Oh, come on. See, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> but Brother Marty, it just sounds so, uh, you know, without getting into it, but it just sounds so much like today. You you just have to take the name and, and put another one, and it, it would seem that you're speaking about America right now. Well, know? I didn't and, say that. I didn't say that. I know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't but it, it catch your drift. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, you know, oh, really? I'm a little slow. I thought I was being as, as, I thought I was trying to hide it pretty good there. I'm honored to be in your presence, Brother Fernando and Brother Marty, because I usually get the revelation about two in the morning after 10 hours <laughs> of it, you know? No, but what I'm saying is, 
you know, we're being facetious, obviously, but it's it's understandable. You know, it's like you're speaking. You're giving us the news of what's taking place exactly today. And and let me just, if I just may say something, in no way do I want to get out of subject, but you hear the preachers today giving these types of titles, you know, uh, to men in position, like to our president, you know, and, and, and we have to be very careful with that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. then what happened to Uzziah, you know, all the uh, <laughs> the flair gets to him. And then he begins yeah. to act and, 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 and position himself doing things that he has not been called to do. You know, right. uh, and so, you know, so that, that that's what I wanted to, to say only about that. With, with And notice that no one withstood him except for a handful of people with the correct word of God. And, yes. and 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 I, and and that's God always has His remnant there. He always has, but they're always. It's always like a, a you know a word. Whenever the prophetic word begins to come out, or whenever a corrective action by the Spirit of God moving through His servants happens, it's always contrary to the prevailing word of the day. See, when okay. Isaiah fin- when Isaiah finally sees this in chapter six, what God showed him. It's important for us to understand how this pertains to our time. Do we see the same thing? Yes, we do. And 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 I think that this plague that came upon Uzziah, which began the process of driving him from the kingdom, could very well be symbolic for an for a similar types of events occurring in the end of time. Because what's about to unfold to Isaiah in these events that happen and that he witnessed is going to be a revelation that the wrath of God is about to be poured out in, in, in the ensuing years. It's going to happen, Isaiah. And the triggering event is this descriptive king, Uzziah, that we were describing, uh, it culminates with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you say it better than that? Can, can you guys help me out there what I'm saying or what you think I'm saying? What I'm saying is is that this this pattern of behavior where both where both the national uh church in, fully embraces the national leader and we laid out all his qualities and personalities and the things of when he crossed over and believed his own press and thought that he had the right to usurp positions within the spirit, which only belonged to the high priest, a type of the Lord himself. It triggered an event, two things. First, there's an earthquake, which is what happened. If you go back and study history, you you can read it in the book of Amos. Um, you can also read it in Isaiah chapter 2, I think. He, he kind of references the Lord shaking the earth. Because what, what, what Isaiah saw in all that, when the earth began to shake, is that he also saw uh, that shaking occurring in the very uh, doorposts of the, of, the, of the house of the Lord. It triggered judgment, a spiritual reality, uh, a spiritual truth of the shaking uh, in the house of God, manifested itself in the shaking all across Israel. It was a great earthquake in the days of Uzziah. It happened. It was a triggering event when he reached that apex, uh, uh, you know, of, of, and the last thing mentioned was military power. You know, 
there was an event I'm, I'm in July. Yeah. yeah, I was going to bring go that up. That's, that's what I was no, go ahead, please do. Uh, the Fourth of July event. I think we we spoke about it on when we were together uh, uh, last, last year, Fourth of July. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, our our dear president came out and, and basically arrayed all his military might in the Fourth of July speech, and basically told the world there's no one greater than America when it comes to military might. And yes. by the way, there was an earthquake that day. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's all. And, and I challenge the people. Go look up that day. Look what happened. Look what he said. Well, look up the earthquake. Very similar. Very similar to what happened in the days of Uzziah. So, you know, all, you know, all all that's left for for the Bible to say of Uzziah is that he was some kind of real estate mogul, right? And, yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, and, then, and then we'll we'll really put the you know pieces yeah. together. But yeah, that's but, it's, but it's what, very similar to what's going on. It is, and 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 remember, there was two earthquakes, right? I mean, in case we didn't get the message in, in last summer, you know, we had that big earthquake, and then it was followed by an even bigger one, which the geologists tell us is really weird because it's usually the opposite way around, right? You have this giant earthquake, and then you have smaller aftershocks. This one was six point something, and then it in Ridgecrest, right? Ridgecrest, California. It was actually on the naval air base. That's where the actual earthquake happened right, underneath right. the air, the naval station. Mm. If that's not symbolic enough, I don't know what is. And then it, to make matters worse, as if we hadn't got the idea, it was followed by like a seven point two earthquake the very next day, within a twenty four hour period. It shook. The nation, and it, and like you said, brother Fernando, it, it, and what we're saying is that is <laughs> it, it's very eerie and it's very similar, because the earthquake, the the display of military might as it's un, unfolded there in Second Chronicles chapter twenty six, it, it then gave way to that high extreme pride that you're talking about, which then follows verse sixteen, right, twenty six sixteen, and and it's that that triggered the earthquake. And then what we see after the earthquake is that a plague, the man is struck with the plague. Uzziah was struck with a plague, right? <laughs> On his forehead, leprosy. Right. And it would be the very thing. And we'll, we have yet to see if the pattern holds out, but it's pretty close. Uh, it would be the very thing that drove him from his power. It was too much to overcome, right? He was banished. Um and we'll see. But, you know, Isaiah's, <laughs> Isaiah's messages that came out of this Isaiah 6 vision, when you start reading Isaiah chapter 1, those are the messages that were given to him. That's what was born out of him. And so when you read 1 and 2 and 3, what you're going to see there, which which these podcasts aren't the <laughs> aren't the best forum to even begin to explore that other than to say take the overview yourselves those of you that are listening and 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 look at the description that is now given uh of the people that were alive during the time of Uzziah's banishment and how they had come so far with him only to have him removed and then replaced with Jotham but listen uh i mean what it, what it reveals and what you'll see is that it reveals a thoroughly ar arrogant materialistic, sensual, and compromised church. 
That's, that's what happened under the leadership of Uzziah. That's who they became. As a matter of fact, let's look at that real quick. Just one little thing here in Isaiah chapter 1. Because these, the, these are the first things that Isaiah preached after he was commissioned to be a prophet. The first thing he says. Are you there, Brother Jeremy? Isaiah 1? Yes. Yes. First thing he says is just read verse 2, two, two to us, if you, if you would. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And then he says in verse, uh, just read three through five, would you? Yes. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. And then he says the result of it, of this behavior, which happened after this vision, that's what Isaiah is saying. Read verse uh, 7. What happens to their city, their nation? Your, co your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Hmm. Your land, strangers devoured it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And when it comes to the real church, how do they feel in verse 8 and 9? And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. He's not talking about, about the world here. He's talking about his own people. He's talking about what happened to them underneath this whole movement and embracing of, <laughs> of, of this Uzziah person, you know, who was started out good but ended up bad. But the effect of his leadership uh, filtered down thoroughly into the people of God. And that's the first thing that Isaiah begins to reveal as he steps out uh, from up underneath this vision and begins his ministry in chapter 1. He addresses that the people had become completely rebellious. The nation itself was completely bad. Seeds of evildoers, corruptors, so forth and so on. And then he starts talking about what's actually happening all around them. It's very interesting because he says that their cities were being burned with fire. That sounds so much like the day, doesn't it? He mm -hmm. talks about, yes. you know, immigrants. <laughs> illegal immigrants, right? Strangers devour your land in your presence and you're overthrown by strangers. And, 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 you're, and then he says, but the real church in verse eight has reached the position where it feels like it's left as a cottage in a vineyard, <laughs> which is really incredible because he, he talks about a small remnant, right? It, that it's the working of the spirit that left a small remnant. And, it, and, and I know from experience, and so do you as, as being ministers, brothers, that that is where we are today, that what has transpired as a result of everything we've experienced over the last several years, uh, leading up even into this election cycle, has left the church feeling as if it's just a small church surrounded uh, in a field of craziness. But it is the Lord's doing, 
and he's protecting his remnant. You know, within that year that Isaiah had this, this vision, Isaiah is completely transformed. And he went from being a priest to a prophet. And in verse 1, Brother Jeremy, could you read again back to chapter 6? And, and we'll, we'll just uh, we'll hurry through this real quick. And uh, we'll see how far we can get just the next few minutes. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So he saw something, and, and, and you know, the, the, the prophetic mystery is now revealed from that point. And what from that point, what he was about to see had references all the way to the end of time. He talks about the whole world in verse 3. He talks about every city on the planet being made desolate. That's the judgment, the final wrath of God in verse 11. That's what he goes on to see. And what's fascinating is that it was these events and that history of the rule and reign of Uzziah culminating with a plague driving him from his position, which came upon him because of his pride. It was allowed to happen. Uh, Isaiah, it's what's what's amazing to me is is it's it's this that reveals to Isaiah the Lord is judge, the Lord is sitting as judge now. So how do we say it to make sense to people for what we're trying to say? A triggering event, an event that caused Isaiah that that also had had a, had a prideful king who who took to himself spiritual titles that didn't belong to him and he was withstood by a remnant who was saying this is all wrong though he was uh, though those who actually stepped in to 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 dissuade the madness uh were persecuted by their very own people and and uh also uh you know involved in it is 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 an earthquake after the display of great military power and a plague that that ultimately would drive him from office all of that that he sees trigger in him something and the lord then allows him uh to be carried into the realm of the spirit where he sees what he sees absolutely changes his life because he he recognized it not only as just the transition of power and the punishment of god upon a king but an absolute exposing of just how far the 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 spiritual people so-called the church in judah had actually declined and it was now going to be his task to call him on the carpet and proclaim to him to them why the wrath of God was coming. And he saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. In Isaiah's case, what was being revealed first and foremost was so astounding. Why do you say that, Brother Marty? Because he saw the Lord sitting. He saw him in a familiar form. He saw him in a man-like form. And he saw him wearing garments. That's what that train means. It, it's a garment it, <laughs> that, that the king wears. His train filled the temple. Why is this so astounding? Because to the Jew or, or, and their understanding at the time, they didn't understand God as being anything like them. Not in the sense that he, he has an, an anthropomorphic form, amorphic form. He doesn't look like a man, but that's how Isaiah saw him. He revealed himself as a man. And what's really profound about that 
is that who he saw was the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know that? Because he says, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That's the title that's given to the son of the living God. And how he was manifested in verse 3, when the angels are crying one to another, they're crying, holy, holy, holy. That's three. He saw for the first time in their understanding that God was just one single personality. He now sees him revealed as three, but all of them being expressed as the Lord of hosts. So he's getting a revelation of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he would ever exist. It's an incredible revelation of the Lord God himself manifested as a man and that the man himself would be the judge, the true, <laughs> the true king of kings and Lord of lords. The one who sits upon the throne is God and yet he appears as, as, as a man. This is, this is something that so struck him as to cause him to feel completely torn apart because how it impacted him had to deal with with his very own spiritual walk before the God that he thought he knew. But obviously he really hadn't known him until this moment. And these events brought about such a full revelation of who the real king is and what he is now getting ready to set about to do which he's about to pour out his wrath. And then that wrath would be revealed as going to take place at three distinct separate times throughout history from that point on, beginning as we come to know through history in the time of Jeremiah, happening again in the time of the apostles in AD 70, and happening again in the coming days that are just ahead of us. He saw him high and lifted up. The next thing he sees in verse 2 is what, Brother Jeremy? Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. It's very incredible because... Where the seraphim that he sees these these angels and what are seraphim? But they are ministers. They are they are ministers of the Lord. They are the flame of fire. You know that that's literally what their name means. Burning. These are burning creatures. These are flames of fire. And that is exactly what's described in the book of Hebrews chapter one, right? Uh, that his ministers, speaking of God, are a flame of fire. So he sees Jesus. Uh, as the judge. He's seeing Jesus. He doesn't even know it's Jesus yet, but he's seeing Jesus. And let me tell you something. When Isaiah writes the 66 books of, of his of his book, the prophet Isaiah, he's the one who would write in chapter 53, right, uh, mm -hmm. about, about the Lord, uh, you know, who has believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. We esteemed him stricken and, and forsaken of God, but God has laid upon him the chastisement of us, of us all, and by his stripes we are healed. He, he, he revealed Jesus Christ, and, and when he saw him uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw something that no one had seen before. 
He saw the man, Christ Jesus, sitting as a judge. He was carried to the end of time because what would be unveiled to him would not only be the judgments that were coming and the wrath that would be poured out three separate times, but the ultimate wrath as the king. He saw all the way. That's why he says, uh, when God's revealing all this stuff to him and, and he tells him what his commission is in verse 11, Isaiah says, how long till the end of all these things that you're showing me? And he says, when the whole earth has been judged, basically, when all the cities are without inhabitant, the houses are without men, and the earth is utterly desolate. And the Lord has taken these men far away and there's a great forsaking in the midst of the land, except for a remnant that will be saved in verse 13. This is what he sees. But before he gets to that fuller revelation of what he sees is coming, he first has to see who it is that's going to make this happen. And God showed it to him. Incredible. And uh, he, sees it, he sees the seraphim in verse 2. What you're actually getting a picture there of is the Ark of the Covenant. Only the real Ark of the Covenant, so to speak, right? Because he's right. sitting and he and he's covered by the wings of, of the <laughs> of the seraphim, right? That's a picture of the ark. You go study the ark, you'll see that there's there's a, there's what they call the judgment seat. It used to be called the judgment seat. It's called the mercy seat when once every year the blood would be placed upon it by the high priest alone. And uh and, and then the wings of the angels would cover that and their faces would look down upon it. And it was known as the judgment seat. So that's how he sees him. He actually sees the heavenly ark or the heavenly throne because the ark represents the throne of God. So that's what he sees. And then he hears the angels uh, preaching to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they reveal God as three holies, right? Holy, holy, holy. That's Elohim. That's three. But yet manifested in one. The Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. So he draws his attention not just to Jerusalem specific, but to the entire planet. And so what's about to be unfolded here and what he's actually seeing is that the Lord of hosts himself is now sitting on his throne. And the events that triggered this vision that alerts him that the wrath of God and the judge is coming is the events that we just described <laughs> under the rulership of King Uzziah. What Isaiah saw was the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is incredible also is he sees the Lord as three manifested in one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, singular, of host. That's Jesus. When he sees that, what happens? Verse 4, Brother Jeremy, real quick. And the post... Here we go. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Yeah, so what, what's what's being witnessed here is that the wrath of God is now <clears throat> about to come place, take place. He's being actually transformed to the end of the world. That's really what he's seeing. Notice what he sees. He sees he sees uh, the doorpost shake. Uh, he hears the cry of the angel, and then here comes smoke, which is which is figurative of, of of judgment or wrath, the anger of the Lord, the judge of the Lord of all the earth is angry. Isaiah was witnessing the ultimate history, the wrath of God at the end of time. Brother Jeremy, turn to Revelation chapter fifteen, would you? Yeah, 
and read to us verse 7 and 8. And remember, remember what we just read. The doorposts shake. The temple is filled with the smoke of God. Isaiah was beginning to see in that realm of prophecy the end of the world. Could you read verse 7 and 8 to us? Yes. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God who lived forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from the power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. That's what Isaiah saw. Incredible. Notice it, the smoke is tied to the wrath, right? And, and that's that's what he saw. That's what we're seeing here. First he said, the wrath is coming and the smoke is filling the temple because of the glory. And, and that's what he sees here in verse 3, right? The whole earth is full of his glory. Then comes the wrath. <clears throat> this is what's happening. This is what Isaiah is seeing. He's seeing the end of the world. It's incredible. It's a triggering event with incredible historical prophetic implications for our time as well. Because it is it is these events that that made the prophet understand something that, that Jesus, the Lord of hosts, all three in one, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, he's coming to judge the earth and these events triggered the ability to see that. Oh all right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Isaiah was carried into the future, and we just read it. He, 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 the same thing happens in the book of Revelation when it's ultimately going to be fulfilled. The Uzziah event, this Uzziah event we've been talking about, it revealed judgment and wrath was eminent from heaven's perspective, right? Because there's no time up there. <laughs> but <clears throat> how does Isaiah react? Read verse 5, would you, really quick, Brother Jeremy? Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My goodness. So what what his reaction was to this incredible prophetic insight, it was overwhelming to him. The word woe, the first thing he says is woe is me. The word woe means he began to lament for himself. And and, and it, it means a great cry of grief or despair. It's this sense of Christ as king, Christ as judge, Christ as the one whose the whole earth is filled with his glory. And now his wrath is coming upon this this world. And, and and he's overcome by that because there's this this sense of immediacy, this this urgent sense of like what Jesus used to say when he teaches about his parables and his second coming. He'd say, "Take heed and watch, for you know not the day and the hour in which your master will return." And the unfaithful servant has to uh, is gonna. It says that the Lord will come to him in an hour that he thinks not, and in an hour that he's not looking for the Son of Man. That's kind of how the feeling we get here with Isaiah. He suddenly sees this, what we're talking about, and he's struck with a lament and a cry of grief and despair because it feels so eminent, as if he doesn't have the ability to, to, to make it right before he actually is about to experience. The wrath is already being poured out in verse 4. And he, he's just so impacted by it. He's really 
a, a cry of all of us who don't know the purging of our iniquity and the forgiveness of our sins. See, we could talk about that, but then he goes on and he says, "I'm undone." Isn't it kind of isn't it kind of how John felt when he saw that there was nobody worthy to loosen the seals? That's a good point. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's a good point. Hmm. Ezekiel too. He, he fell to his face when he saw his glory. Jeremiah right. said, "Oh Lord, I'm on. You know, I can't even yes. speak." Right. So all these men had a had to have this encounter revelation to be in awe of who the Lord was. Yes, and, and also and think, think, also ahead, think about what you just said, both of you, because. Uh, both of and all those examples are excellent because each one of those fits into uh, the wrath of God, right? Uh, Ezekiel, yeah. Jeremiah, wrath in their period. John, that you represented in the book of Revelation, Brother Fernando, he's witnessing mm-hmm. the unfolding of the end of time, right? And the ultimate wrath of God. See, all of them are there doing the same thing, <laughs> just like Isaiah, yeah. right? Yes. Are you going to say, Brother Jeremy, finish your thought? But that and that's part of our call. If God is calling us, we're gonna to have to have a revelation <laughs> of Jesus in that manner, you know, to to do what we're able to do. And I just wanted to quickly point out that the wrath of God that you're speaking about is performed by the angels of God, right? Uh, they're the ones, you know, that you see them active in the Book of Revelation, bringing about the the wrath of God, correct? Yes. And yeah. uh, so, so, so I think it's it's not not interesting. That's not the word I want to use. But I think it's very peculiar that Isaiah is calling him the Lord of Hosts, not the Lord of Creation, not the Lord of this. He calls him the Lord of Hosts. And what host means, it it speaks about the he's saying the Lord of an army or servants that are assembled, ready to fight, to perform, to war. You get what I'm saying? And uh, yes. so all of this and is connected not, and, to and rest. Not, and, yeah, and stop and consider that because what also is being revealed here by the Holy Spirit is that it is the union and the fellowship of of the servants of the hosts in heaven and the connective host that is upon the face of the earth. See, we play a part in the unfolding of the prophetic uh, expression of the Godhead. We play a vital part in that. The angels couldn't come down and do what Isaiah is about to do, which is preach <laughs> to his people, right. right? Right. But 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 a people had to be prepared, and an Isaiah had to be prepared, an Ezekiel and a Jeremiah and a Daniel had to be prepared, a John the Baptist had to be prepared, a Paul had to be prepared, and an end time right. church, an end time church is going to be yes. prepared. Because we have a message to give. That's right. And there's a there's an expression that needs to be made. It must precede wrath. In every generation, there's been two before us that have experienced there's one that remains. And, and so you're right. All of you are right. So listen. So he said, that, but the effects of it, you know, of what he's feeling. I'm undone. Uh, I'm going to perish. You know, it takes away his voice. That's what the word undone means, to be silent, to be destroyed, to feel destroyed. And and then and then the reason is is he says, I'm unclean, right? I'm I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. The word unclean gives us an insight. 
not necessarily into the gross sin that Isaiah was experiencing, but in light of the one whom he sees, that's the key. In the light of the Holy One of Israel, in the light of the great King of Kings and Lord of Lords, in the light of the King, the Lord of Hosts, he says, I'm unclean. And what that word literally means is I, I, I'm defiled. I'm religiously defiled. I'm ethically defiled. I'm ritually defiled. I'm idolatrous. I'm, and yes, I'm sexually, I feel de defiled. All of it wrapped up in one. It doesn't mean the prophet was having all those sins, you know, in his life. But even the tiniest of things, in the light of who he was seeing and what he was coming to do, every single hidden sin, every little, uh, you know, habit, whatever, every thought, all of it was exposed when he saw the king. And the horror of it took, took, took him over. And literally made him feel like I'm dead. I'm a dead man. <laughs> I'm a dead man. Have you ever experienced God like that? Have you ever truly seen the King? Because when you do, and, and none of us can hold a candle to Isaiah, and that's how he felt. Uh, how about us? Have we seen him like that? Have you lamented? and despaired over your sin because if you haven't ever had that happen to you then i would have to question whether you've truly seen the king or whether you truly have repented or been given the great honor of of reflecting on our utter despair in light of his holiness only to collapse ourselves into the arms of his grace and mercy because that's what isaiah would end up doing i'm undone it's a complete self-awareness in the light of the perfect judge. That's what he sees. And we have to understand that's who we're going to meet. God wanted us to see him that way. He wanted Isaiah to see him that way. Yes. So that the, so that the impact of seeing him that way would produce this awareness. Because it's serious business. Even as much as you and I and, and Fernando talk about the word every day and put the word out to people every day, it still ain't enough, man. I mean, there's a deeper level of impact that's coming. And with, with each sub, uh, you know, subsequent entry into our time of further natural disasters, crazy you know, flexing of the muscles of this antichrist system that's growing all around us. Remember what he said? He said, Zion is left like a cottage in the middle of a vineyard. We're going to feel more and more increasingly isolated as we go on here. And the pressure of it is going to alert us somewhere along the fact that the king is coming and the, the awareness that the king is coming for God's people who love him is going to cause us to have an awareness of how much we need to get out of our lives. Right. He says, I'm a, I, I have, <laughs> uh, see, I know, I know, I know. This is hard preaching for some people, but it's not. We're being prepared for forever. And the glorious beauty of the prize that is set before us, there must come that breaking, that severing, that, that disconnection from this world and all it represents. And none of us, at least I don't know of anyone yet, me least of all, can actually say that we have completely severed ourselves from this world and that we're just so caught up in the glory of God. We'd like to pretend we're that religious. Isaiah was a priest walking in places that only the select few priests 
could walk. And even in that holy place where he was at, he was suddenly exposed to himself before his king who sits as judge about to pour out wrath on, on an end time world, which he was accelerated in the future to see. He suddenly realized, my God, even me, you know, I'm undone. I mean, if he considers himself ritually, ethically impure, how much more us? But we have to mm -hmm. come to that to that realization. Because what he went on to say was, I'm uh, unclean lips. That word lips doesn't just mean his mouth. It does mean that, you know, how he spoke and what he said. You know, it has the idea of language, but it also, it, it, it's also like a vessel. Understand it as a vessel. Uh, the lip as being that place from which things flow out of. Mm -hmm. You know, that's literally what he's saying. As a vessel of the Lord, what's actually been flowing out of me is unclean. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. I know, right? You know, like, I read that and go, oh, God, I need to get saved, man. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> We're all in trouble. But that's the beauty, beauty of it. But it's See, because Isaiah... Yeah, it's absolutely necessary. And he said that, that it's because he had these experiences because I've seen the king, right? Verse 5, I've seen the king. I've seen him. In other words, the word seen means to fully discern who he is. And when you fully and when I fully and when we fully in these last days see him as who he is, in context of the judge of the end of time, as well as personally accountable to him as his vessel, as the temple of the Holy Ghost. Oh God, you know I'm telling you what, man, this is this this is intense. But this is what the great prophet saw, and and thank God he gives us the key. You know, he's saying the fact that he's saying all this about himself is a revelation of the key to having that burden lifted. He's confessing his sin. And what I love about it is verse 6. Read verse 6 real quick, would you, Brother Jeremy? Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Notice, after he makes this great confession and says, I get it, I understand some, I'm giving given a revelation of this, this great Elohim manifested in one the king, the judge of all the earth. He's a man, and he's the Lord of hosts. My God, we ain't got time to get into all that, but it just absolutely floored him. It totally floored him. You know, kings will come and go, but the one I saw who sits, who wears robes, who has a crown on his head, who the angels are ministering to, my God, I've seen him. Uh, you don't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> it's incredible what he saw. And to us, you know, yeah, it's Jesus. No, man, Jesus hadn't even been revealed yet. But he is now. And it tore him up. Anyway. But after he makes this confession, right, it says in verse 6, it says, it, notice it doesn't say that one of the seraphim kind of walked over to me. <laughs> it doesn't say he kind of walked over to it. It says he flew to him. He we, we, you know, we lay out this thing, and 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 it can cause us despair when we when we line up our lives in light of these great servants of God, and we all fall short, woefully short. Uh, but but Isaiah was comparing himself to the King which he saw, and we must compare ourselves with the King 
which we saw and which we see and which we should see every day. See, the more that you, because remember, Isaiah was in the presence of God. The more that you're in the presence of God, that's what you'll see. He'll reveal himself to you. And with each subsequent revelation in your time with him, in your prayer life with him, the gentle hand of the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you those very areas within each and every one of our lives. And I'm at the head of the line where he begins to walk in between the concealed places. You know, the $10 bill that's hidden underneath the billfold, like we used to say, you know, <laughs> I know you've got that 10 slid up underneath that <laughs> that place in your wallet. He always used to say, right? It's kind of like that with our own personal lives. You know, we become experts at hiding not only from the public, but from our own self. But when the Holy Spirit begins to turn the light of the inspection process upon your life, like he did for the great prophet here, and, and that's done in, the, in seeing who Christ really is, we must all stand. Paul, Paul talked about that, right? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for why we did what we did and why we said what we said. I wonder if he had been reading Isaiah 6 when he said that. Because it's those precious workings of the Holy Spirit. What Isaiah confessed here, if you actually take time to say, to really look up and study what those words, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean, you start walking and navigating the full implications of what each and every one of those things he said. It speaks of a thorough corruption of the life of the human being. As holy as he might seem, he's wearing white linen robes. He's walking in the courtyards of the priests of the great temple of Solomon. He's a participator in the things of God. But when he saw Jesus as judge, which he did in the daily practice of his ministry within the courtyards and the temple itself, and that day particularly God gave him that insight of who the, who the Lord really is and what he's coming to do, uh, it exposed himself to himself. And that's a good thing because what it produced in him was not like a, an Adam-like response who went and hid himself in the trees and covered himself with leaves. It produced within him uh, a lament and a crying out to God, which is what we must do every single day day, especially when the grace of God shines the light upon the conditions of our heart, the real condition of our heart that is hidden to us. When he said, woe is me, I've seen the king. <laughs> the reason I'm feeling this way, he says, is I finally got a revelation of Christ. I finally get a revelation of Jesus. And I'm broken. I'm in despair. I actually thought I was doing pretty good, you know. I mean, I'm serving in his temple, I'm, but my God, who he is, his magnificence. And when I think of these holy, burning, fiery beings, perfected creations of God surrounding him and ministering to him and crying, holy, 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 they're crying, holy, you know, I mean, in light of this entire thing, oh my God, he says, I'm undone, man. I'm, I'm, I, I need help, <laughs> to put it simply. 
Search me, O God. That's how, that's why it's so beautiful how King David wrote, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way within me. He wasn't saying that out of pride. He was saying that out of desperate need and a desire and a longing and a hunger to let God have his way. And he was, he was, he was, uh, so beautiful in his expressions where he would come to the conclusions after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan and he writes in the 51st Psalm, it says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please don't do that because that's the thing that has now begun to reveal to me that what you really desire, God, is not this outward projected uh, religious uh, activity that I've become really proficient at and have really built this 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 incredible thing in front of me that, that portrays a particular image that I want everyone to see. He says, what I've really come to realize, which has actually been hidden from me because I've gotten so practiced in in overcoming my sins and, and allowing whatever it is that I did that I allowed. He says, but now I fully understand, man, <laughs> that what you really want is truth in the inward part. You want it in the very fiber of my being and, and, and the part that's hidden from me. Make me to know truth in the inward part and make me to know wisdom in the hidden part. That's what's exposed when you really have an encounter with Jesus. Some people cry. Some people fall on their face. Some people run. <laughs> they run because they don't want anything to do with it. The, the scrutiny is too much. You know, but 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 Isaiah, he responds by speaking this out loud. I'm this. I'm that. And that's that's all God, you know, wants us to understand from this in a much more personal note. Because when that happens, it's beautiful what Brother Jeremy just read. When the, all that's in place that we're talking about, it says, verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphim unto me. The king sitting on the throne dispatched one to him, having a live coal in his hand, verse 6, which he had taken from off the altar. That's the altar, the brazen altar. Some argue it's the altar of incense, but, but the altar of incense doesn't purify. It's the brazen altar, the type of Calvary. What was being revealed was redemption, brothers. And this complete redemption that's coming to his church. And this complete purifying that's coming to his third church. See, he fully discerned this. He makes his confession, and it's a swift result after the confession. When you truly confess your sins. That's what John was saying in First John chapter 1, right? If we, if we do sin, he says, we got an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Mm -hmm. And if we confess our sins, he said, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? To cleanse us of our sins right then and there. And that's what happened to Isaiah. He experienced redemption before redemption was even brought forth into the earth. My God. <laughs> it's awesome what he thought. No wonder he could write about the Messiah like anybody, nobody's business, right? I mean, no wonder he had this revelation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But notice it's a living coal, right, Brother Jeremy? It's a live coal. Can you read verse 6 real yeah. quick? Yes. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. 
see, redemption is not made to the angels. He didn't take it. <laughs> That's I don't want to go too far off, but the, you know, we, but just just know that that the, that the tongue speaks of a separation. This this redemption comes from off the altar, and it's for us who will confess our sins. And notice that it's it's a live coal, right? So we have the sacrifice of the altar. That's the cross, but we also have, it's called a living coal, right? It's a live coal. It's not dead. It, it speaks of the resurrection, too. The two are, are cannot be separated, and the one is lifeless without the other. It's a living coal. And then what happens is he lays it upon his mouth, the source from which all things flow. Verse 7, can you read that real quick, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So look at the effects of redemption. Look at the effects. Because remember again what we're talking about as well. This same thing is about to take place for you out there listening and for me. Because God is about to call us into a level of prophetic ministry that has nothing to do with all these fly-by-night so-called prophets. We're talking about the actual uh, thing that the word says will happen, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, yes, but your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. What are they prophesying? And what will be the effect of the prophecies of upon his handmaidens and his servants, it says in Joel. And Peter quoted it, right? He said, they will prophesy and I will show signs in the heavens above and in the earth, blood, fire, vapors of smoke. They're prophesying the coming wrath of God. That's what they're prophesying. But before we get to that that place where we are pure and, and, and purified, it's an act of God himself that he's going to give us a revelation of our Lord. We're going to understand by certain triggering events that we are just, uh, you know, in the next coming days, in the very few short years maybe ahead of us, we're going to see the king. He's already taking his place as judge upon the throne. And when we get that understanding, it's going to expose us to ourselves, which will utterly cause us in desperation and in absolute surrender to our God to say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a sinner, man. I need your help. And he's going to have a divine act of his grace that's swiftly going to occur. And he's going to purge us of our iniquity, wash away our sin, and then commission us. Because that's what happened to Isaiah, right? After this, his iniquity, that's a heart thing. That's born again, right? Uh, is, is taken away. The old nature is removed and it's replaced by his spirit. And then his sin is purged. That's the outward. That's, that's all the stuff we do in the flesh. You know, that's washed away. It's purged away, and that's what's going to happen. He's coming for a glorious bride, a prophetic bride. You know, go ye out to meet him, right? That bride, that, that, those five wise virgins, right? And, and now, after this, we're going to be commissioned like Isaiah was in verse 8. Can you read verse 8, Brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, um, here we go. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Praise God, send me. That's cool. He goes from being what he said before, I'm a mess. After God has got him ready, he says, send me. 
you know, I can do this, Lord, send me. I'm ready. I don't even know what you want me to do, but I'm ready. Right? That's what he goes, and then God gets ready to reveal to him. So basically he says, send, here am I, send me. It's the commission. This is the process the saints are about to go through. That's what the Lord told me this morning. Jesus is coming. And we have a prophetic declaration to make, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah before the wrath poured out in their generation, like John the Baptist and Jesus before the wrath was poured out in that first appearance of the Lord in A.D. 70. And like this end-time sons and daughters prophetic declaration of the coming wrath of God, so are we going to be prepared like Isaiah and like all the brethren who, who were called to specific commissions at the precise time that it was time for them to become what God had called them. And what we're going to be aware of is that our cleansing, our purging, is found at the cross of Calvary, and the power of it is because of the resurrection. It's a live call. It is those that will have a full revelation of that, and that the king, the judge, is coming, but he's calling us, and he's going to heal us, purge us, cleanse us, and then send us. We're coming to those moments. Some of us are in different places of that experience, but it's all going to happen very, very soon. And the events that we are witnessing quite possibly are the same events that Isaiah saw so long ago that triggered a acceleration of his prophetic sight to the end of time, which we read out of the book of Revelation 15, verse 7 and 8, just before the wrath of God. That's where we are, brothers. And as the Lord allows, we'll continue to look into these scriptures and begin to examine the patterns that we learn from in the three outpourings of the wrath of God as revealed in his holy word. Two have been fulfilled. One is just ahead of us. The question is, are we going to be Isaiah's, Jeremiah's, Ezekiel's, and John the Baptist's? Or are we going to be those who fall away and suffer the wrath of God? The choice is, is ours, really. But really, there is no choice to make for those that are <laughs> that are in love with Jesus. We know, and we say, "Lord, have your way in our lives, please, Lord, have your way in our lives." Jesus is coming, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow, Brother Jeremy. Amen. What a what a discussion, what a study today on the call of Isaiah, and we really pray that you have been blessed and you and that you have been able to examine. Uh, the things that we have been able to relate, we pray by the Spirit of the Lord into your heart. We pray you join us tomorrow, and uh, we continue to pray for one another. Let's not forget to pray for our brothers in Louisiana and other parts in Northern California, and to continue to pray for each other. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.